If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11. Before we dive into the scripture this morning, though, I want to just ask you, uh, <clears throat> you, you feel like life has been just somewhat suspended? Does anybody else feel that way? It's just, you're kind of in a, in a holding pattern. Um, as a pastor, I'll just uh, share with you, it just seems like, um, I know it's not, but it just seems like there's a, kind of that pause button feeling that that I've had as it relates to, to ministry. Obviously, things are altered right now. We're not able to operate fully as we uh, normally do. <clears throat> and in praying and thinking on that, um, I know sometimes when we go through seasons like we find ourselves in, maybe it's a good time to to do some introspection, some inspection, some evaluation. And so today I want to uh, share with you, uh, talk about the church. And I want to ask the question today, what is a great church? What is a great church? In Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19, in the New Testament, the very church that we are to pattern after. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which... When they were come to, again, Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things, news of these things, came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who... When he came, watch this, and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and this phrase has always captured my attention and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch father we come to you now as we have shared the word we pray now that you would impart the word and deposit it into our spirit, into our heart. We all make up 
this wonderful church. But Lord, today we're going to ask the question, are we a great church? Great in the eyes of God. Lord, I pray that you would impart truth to us that will challenge us and charge us, that will convict us and change us. Use us for your glory and your honor. And for these things, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. What is a great church? Are we the church of Jesus Christ? Do we possess the characteristics that our Heavenly Father looks for in His church? Are we making a difference in the kingdom of heaven by impacting man's kingdom, the kingdom of earth? Dr. Raymond Culpepper, one of our leaders in our denomination and our movement, wrote a book several years ago, and it was entitled, No Church Left Behind. And that book, I remember reading it, and it challenged me as a pastor. And I've been challenged again this week to examine truly, if truly we are the biblical church, and what the New Testament biblical church looks like. Now first we must ask, in the 21st century, is the church healthy and making a difference? The church as a whole, not just Pulaski Church of God, but the church across our country, across our world. If we are making a difference, why are one out of three adults considered unchurched? George Barner Research showed that 47% of political liberals are unchurched compared to 19% of political conservatives. He went on to share that African Americans are less likely to be unchurched. Only 25% of the African American population are unchurched. But the percentages of unchurched rise to 32% among Caucasian and 35, 34% among Hispanics. Single adults continue a historic trend or a pattern of being more likely to drift away and to stay away from church. Now, 37% of the young adult population is unchurched. Even in our own local church, I've been here to participate and be a part of watching three different graduating classes. And I've watched some of our seniors that have graduated high school and kind of drift away from the church, and yet they never left the county. Today, well more than 73 million adults are unchurched. And that number swells to well over 100 million when teens and children are added in. When we hear those kind of numbers, we cannot help but wonder about the relevance and the effectiveness of the church. I find myself as a leader doing some introspection because I learned a long, long time ago that everything rises and falls on leadership. I don't know about you, but I want this church, the Pulaski Church of God, to be a great church. God intends for his church 
the Pulaski Church of God to be a great church. His son, Jesus Christ, purchased the church, this church, the Pulaski Church of God, with his own precious blood. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell do not prevail against a great church. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, Pastor, isn't every church that exists, isn't it a great church? Well, let's ask the question, what really defines a church as great? First of all, let's say, let me tell you today what doesn't define the church as a great church. We think programs make us a great church. That doesn't make us a great church. We, we assume the nice facilities, and I think we're blessed with beautiful, wonderful facilities, but as nice as they are, they do not make us a great church. Talents do not make us a great church. Numbers and the size of the congregation do not make us a great church. I am convinced today, I've been around long enough, that I've observed and I've watched and I've discerned that there are churches that are running in the thousands today that God wrote the word Ichabod across their door, which means my spirit has departed from this. That's an Old Testament term, Ichabod. I believe there are churches running in the thousands that God has written Ichabod across the door of the church because they're not great in the eyes of God. And, and I'm not, now I'm not anti mega church this morning but I'm convinced that there are too many that go through the motions and push the right buttons and play the expected games and yet they lack God's power and God's influence in their community and yet there are also churches probably running a hundred folks or less out in the county or in the country or at a hamlet somewhere and they're winning people and they're discipling people and they're worshiping God without reservation and I believe God would call them a great church we have a tendency to attach our labels to what a great church is but God may have a totally different set of standards than what man has but the answer is still found in the church with all of our imperfections and boy do we have them have we had the scandals? All of us in this room, if you've been around in the last 10, 15, 20 years, every now and again, there is a scandal that rocks the church and it leaves the skeptic saying, that's why I don't go to church. But can I tell you today, the church is still the last, the best, and the only hope for America. Amen. Amen. Lyle Schaller, the prominent church growth scholar, he states that we are closing 37 churches every day in America. That's 13,500 churches every year. Now the flip side of that is we're planting 14 churches every day. So the net loss for the church in America is 8,395 churches annually, losing 23 churches every day that has death rattles in it. And yet again, I will say the church is the last and the best and the only hope for America. 
You say, why would the church be the only hope? I'll tell you, it's a very simple reason. The church, the true church, is the only organism with the gospel message that Jesus still saves, Jesus still delivers, Jesus still sets free. You see, you may not have even realized this, and maybe I didn't until even early this morning, but before Matthew 16 and 18, one could say the church was just another word for assembly or the gathering for a meeting. Did you know the first time the word church shows up in the Bible? It's not anywhere in the Old Testament. It shows up first in the New Testament. It shows up early in the New Testament. Not only does it show up early in the New Testament, the word church falls from the lips of our Lord. It was Jesus was the first one who said the word church. And he didn't intend for it to just be a gathering, just to be an assembly, just to be a fellowship. He intended for it to be something much greater than that. In fact, when he said the word church and it fell from his lips, he raised the bar for in that passage in the Greek it is the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out ones from the world system into discipleship. Can I tell you today, we didn't come to church. Oh no, my friend, we are the church. It is the called out ones that are burdened to turn the world upside down that have made up their mind to be the ecclesia, to be the called out ones, to be the chosen ones of God. And if we do that, we are assured by Jesus' own lips that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. I tell you, I'm a little churchy today. I'm glad that from the moment I was born, from the moment my mama could take me to church, she brought me to church. We didn't miss church. Church wasn't just part of the agenda. It wasn't just part of an option of our calendar. It was where we were going to be on the Lord's day. They had a mindset like the psalmist, and that is this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why is that? Because the church is the greatest organism this side of heaven. I wish somebody would praise the Lord that you're part of the church of Jesus Christ today. Hallelujah. (laughs) The church is you. The church is me. Where you go, the church goes. What you do, the church does. The way you think, the church thinks. The way you talk, the church talks. Y'all still out there? We are the church. So we've looked at important information about the unchurched, and we realize that Jesus Christ is the only hope for a lost world, and that that message comes through the church of Jesus Christ. So are we a great church? If not, what can we do to become a great church? You see, there are some key characteristics that will make us a great church in our community but more importantly, a great church in the eyes of God. These characteristics are non-negotiables. And every single one of us in the church that are part of the church are responsible to fulfill these characteristics. We will visit one today. I will say the first thing I would say to you today that if we're going to be a great church, then we're going to be a grace church. 
If we're going to be a great church, then we're going to be a grace church. And we'll give you a Bible now, okay? We call ourselves Christians and in the church where they were first called Christians. Acts chapter 11, verse 23, the church at Antioch where they were first called Christians. The scripture says when Barnabas came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He saw the grace of God. It was the first thing that reached out and got him. Sweet grace, pure grace, free grace, amazing grace. Barnabas is coming to the Antioch church for the very first time. Let's just take a moment and call Barnabas an FTA or a first-time attender. Now, let me tell you something about FTAs. They're very important, and we're blessed to have FTAs here just about every Sunday. First-time attenders, first-time worshipers come to this church just about every week. Ken Houts, president of Care Ministries International, he tells us these statistical facts. FTAs are the church of the future. No one commits to a church where they do not first visit that church. FTAs decide in the first 11 minutes of their visit whether they will return. I've heard of some, it's even shorter than that. If the greeters are, are not happy and friendly at the, at the door, they may come through the door and sit through the service, but they may never return again. They may make their decision in the first three minutes, four minutes, that they're on the property. The annual number of FTAs in a year is about the same number as the average Sunday morning attendance, which means that in 2019, no, more than likely, we had close to 300 people that walked through the doors of this church for the very first time. My question is, is when they came through the doors, did they see the grace of God? Now, when Barnabas showed up at Antioch for the very first time, the Bible says he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Did you know that only one out of ten first-time attenders make a return visit? Did you know that more than 75% of first-time attenders were invited by a friend or a relative? 75% were invited by a friend or a relative. Did you know? that one-fourth of Americans said they would attend church at least once if somebody simply invited them to come to church. There are people sitting in this room today that were simply invited to come to church, and as a result, your neighbor reached out to you, your friend reached out to you, a, a stranger reached out to you you'd never laid eyes on before, but you found out it turned out to be a divine appointment ordained by the hand of all Almighty God, and as a result of it, you're sitting in the house of God today. Thanks be unto God, somebody was led of the Spirit to invite you to come to the house of the Lord. <laughs> the question is, when's the last time you invited someone to your great church? Hmm. You'd be surprised how many people would come. If you just ask. My neighbors who've become good friends. Them were the people that I talked about a few weeks ago. They had the snake problem. All I did was share with them that we were having a stand for our flag service. On July the 5th. 
would love to have them come. It wasn't no long drive. I didn't have to beat them over the head with a hammer. I just told them, hey, you ought to come. That sounds good. You ought to come. Boy, they come and the Lord just really touched them and ministered to them. I just learned of a couple this past week just out for their power walk. Just out exercising and ran into, ran into someone I don't think they had known before. But invited them to come to the house of God. They came to the house of God, got ministered to them. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. The average believer has 20 relationships with unchurched people. 20 relationships. Which mean that you and I have as a church well over 6,000 connections with people that are lost and dying. Verse 23 says, When Barnabas came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. People that come back to church a second time, they need four friends just to stay connected in the first month. They need to build those relationships. First time attender Follow-up is 83% more effective if done by the laity than done by the pastor. I just tell you one of the most enjoyable things that I, that I love to do is I, I love to be able to just, it's part of my, you know, just engaging with people. I love to go and, and see people, just drop in on them and say hello. And one of the most enjoyable things I do is when I get a, uh, somebody's new to the church. I haven't been able to do it in a while. All this COVID stuff going on, try to respect the boundaries of that. But I, I love to just get my GPS and, and me and Miss Kitty, that's my GPS, we get out in my vehicle and we just drive around the county and we just show up at someone's house and they may not be home and I just leave them a door hanger and, and, and you know, or, or they're home and I just stop by and say, hey, it was just great to have you. Didn't come by to preach at you. Is there anything we can help you pray about? Just wanted to let you know that we cared. You'd be surprised how many people just want to know someone cares about them. But as effective as that may be, some people kind of expect that from a pastor. But it grabs a hold of them when it's somebody from the flock that reaches out to them. Can I just be honest with you? I think we have a great first impressions team and we got a great couple that's leading it we got a great group of folks that are warm they smile their breath is not bad they welcome you into church we're glad they're there we're happy they're there they're johnny on the spot they're very important because first impressions makes a difference but can I also tell you that while we have a great first impressions ministry, we have a below average follow-up ministry here. Come on, somebody say amen or oh me. We need people to love on new people. We need, I'm going to preach whether you help me or not. We need people to walk in the house of God and say, you know what? I experienced the grace of God. I saw the grace of God. Those people but long about Tuesday of that week, somebody's ringing their doorbell or, or, or reaching out to them via email or not somehow just knocking on their door, dropping off some brownies and saying, hey, you know what? It was not just coincidence you came to church at Pulaski Church of God. You came by, you were blessed, and we wanted to let you know we don't just have grace in first impressions, but we have a continuous flow of grace, and we'll hope you come back and be with us.
this again. Boy, I'm preaching good. talking grace you'd be surprised how many people think grace is the prayer you pray at dinner time grace is so much more than that Titus 2.11 grace brings salvation 1 Corinthians 15.10 grace provides security 2 Corinthians 12.9 grace perfects weakness Colossians 4.5 and 6 grace is what seasons our speech Hebrews 13, 9, grace empowers us against strange doctrines. James 4, 6, and 7, grace enables us to submit to God. Grace is free, but grace is not cheap. Grace is a gift that cannot be earned. Hallelujah. Grace is undeserved favor. It's never divine debt. Grace is whatever you need when you need it. Grace is love with no strings attached. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is the power and the ability to do the will of God. When Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. In a church where they were first called Christians, Barnabas saw grace. Antioch. They weren't called Christians first in Jerusalem. Thessalonica. Colossae. They were called Christians first in Antioch. What was it about that Antioch group of folks? Well, they were humble people. You studied, study it out, you'll learn that they were people of integrity. You will find that they were generous people. This blows my mind. These bunch of Gentile folks, they know that a famine is coming to the whole earth. Everywhere, everyone's going to experience the famine. And yet, the Christians at Antioch determined to send financial relief to their Jewish brethren dwelling in Judea. They reached across the boundaries and showed love. They were responsible people. You see, I know we're living in a cheap grace environment. I know that. The church culture has cheapened grace. Some believe, there's many that teach that grace, because grace is free, that it is cheap. That's so far from the truth. Nobody said it better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he wrote, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without any church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Now, don't get distorted in your understanding. You really need to tune in here if you're going to understand grace. In all of our efforts at the Pulaski Church of God to be welcoming and friendly and hospitable and loving, 
May we never compromise the elements of grace that make grace what it is. If you're present today and you are lost in your trespasses and sins, it is grace that opens the door of salvation. Listen to this. Acts 15, 11 says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Grace opens the door of salvation. But at the same time, it closes the door on sin. Boy, Lord, help me, help me communicate here. Grace opens the door of salvation. But it closes the door on sin. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So it's very simply like this. Here's the door of salvation. I came to the Pulaski Church of God today and I'm lost. I'm backslidden. I'm away from the Lord. But God's Spirit is dealing with my heart. I sense grace in the house. I sense the love of God in the house. And the door of salvation is open for me to walk through. But let it be clearly understood that when I walk through the door of salvation, I accept eternal life in Jesus. But at the same time that I do it, I close the door on my past. I close the door on my sin. I close the door on my addictions. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. That is true grace. And the church has to stand for true grace. Grace is for the sinner. Grace is also for the saint. I like the way Dallas Willard wrote. He said, a sinner needs grace. But a saint goes through grace like a jet goes through jet fuel. I'm glad that when John Newton wrote the greatest hymn that has ever been written, probably the most well-renowned, a drunken slave owner, that God miraculously saved and set free. And when he sat down to pen the words, he didn't just write it for the sinner, but he also wrote it for the saint. When he wrote it for the sinner, he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. But thanks be unto God, he didn't stop there. He also wrote a verse for the saint. He said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it's been grace that has led me this far. And it'll be grace that will lead me home. Barnabas showed up at Antioch where they were first called Christians. He saw the grace of God and he was glad.
We cannot be a church, much less a great church, if when anyone of any color or background or economic status, if they walk through the doors and they fail to see the grace of God. A great church is a grace church. <laughs> I like the way Paul said it. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. What is a great church? A great church is a grace church. story told by Dr. Culpepper that really reaches out and grabs me. It was a late one Saturday night in 1987. A young pastor was praying. Lord, we will love anyone you send us. Anyone you send to us, we will love. Ten hours later, on a Sunday morning, Two homosexuals showed up in church dressed in black leather and wearing earrings. They walked to the front, sat in the first row near the center aisle. Oh no, the pastor thought. I pray they're not here to cause any trouble. But just then the Lord reminded him of the prayer he had prayed ten hours earlier. When the invitation was given, the two men were first to come to the altar. Their story unfolded. The night before, about the same time the pastor was praying his, quote, will love anyone prayer. The older of the two men was on the verge of suicide. He had spent 20 years in the gay lifestyle. He had abused drugs and alcohol and sex. He had wasted his youth and grieved his family. And that Saturday night, in a raunchy, stinking restroom of a gay bar, facing himself in a dingy mirror, he wept and he prayed, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, please help me. Both men were miraculously saved that Sunday morning. A singles group took them under its wings and loved them and led them and discipled them. The younger one moved on with his life and at last report was still following Jesus. But the older of the two men, his name was Wayne Andre. He matured in his faith and he married a beautiful lady from the church. They adopted two lovely little girls. He wrote his autobiography and founded and directs a ministry to the sexually broken called Free my children. Raymond Culpepper says, I know this story is true. I saw the miracle unfold. I was that young pastor. 
If you're sitting here thinking this is a story only about homosexuals needing grace, you missed it. For whether one's life resume is littered with sexual immorality or dirtied by self-righteousness, you're still dead in trespasses and sins. Sin has abounded in your life. But turning to the Lord, grace now abounds even more. Remember this. The next time you're tempted to look down your nose at lost, broken, troubled, rejected, abused people, they have enough guilt and grief. Come on, somebody help me here. They have enough guilt and grief. They need what you have. And that's grace. Thank God for his amazing grace. I'm not naive enough to believe that we have perfected grace as a church. I dare say there's probably prejudice in this church. There's probably bigotry amongst us. Jealousy. There's probably some spiritual superiority. Sometimes if we've been serving the Lord a long time, we find ourselves removed from those people. We get a few years of Christianity under our belt, and if we're not careful, we can become self-righteous. I am praying God will rock our world and that grace will leaven this body like it's never happened in all of its over 100-year history. So when they walk in, whether they're a prostitute or a person of color, whether they're homeless or whether they're wealthy, they walk in and understand, hey, I've made it home. I found a place that lives grace. I believe I just walked in to a great church. Would you bow your heads with me? Just, just music, softly play it, please. Is there anyone here that would like to experience love and grace that you cannot find anywhere else? You are accepted. by a Savior who gave it all for you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But that's the beauty of it. You don't have to earn it. It's already given 
All you have to do is accept it. God's great grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sins. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within grace grace God's sweet grace grace that is greater than all of my sin Oh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within grace, grace. that is greater than all my sin. While no one's looking around, you'd say, Pastor, I need the grace of God. I'm not where I should be with the Lord. And you'll just raise your hand up and put it right back down. I need prayer. I need prayer. Anyone? I need prayer. No one's judging you. God, help us not to judge anyone. Say, I need grace today. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and you say, I'm, I'm having a struggle just making it one day to the next. I could sure use an extra dose of God's grace. I, I'm a child of God. I'm a believer. But I could sure use some more grace. Would you, would you just lift your hand? All over this place, I could use some more grace. That's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet. And some of you know this little chorus that we just sung. I just kind of sprung it on Tony there as the Lord led me. But if you know it, I want you to I want you to sing it with me. I want you to sing it as a prayer. And I sing it as a prayer for your church, for your pastor. Pray that your pastor will be a pastor that's filled with grace. Pray that your church will be leavened throughout with grace so that whosoever will can find the peace of God and the love of Jesus that can change their life. Let's sing it together.
is greater than all.